0: Well, welcome to church. It's good to see you this morning. How is everybody this morning? Are you doing okay? Are there any mamas in the house this morning? Is there anyone here who's grateful for their mama this morning? Man, we're so glad. Here's what I want to do today because this is a special day. Would you stand up and let us celebrate you this morning as well? Please join. Let us celebrate you as well. And then while you're standing, I just want to pray a blessing over you. Just bow your heads. And, and if you're close by, maybe your sweetheart or a mom or someone, uh, feel free to just put a hand on their, their back or their, hold their hand if they feel comfortable with it. But let's, let's pray a blessing. Father God, we thank you for the gift of mamas who bring tenderness and warmth to the relationships. We thank you for the way that they just intuitively seem to get things that we hairy-legged men don't get so much of the time. But Father, we also acknowledge that in this room, when we talk about moms, it's also a painful day for so many because there are some who wish they were moms. Others who were moms, but their child has passed away. And then there are still others who maybe they're on the receiving and their mom was never around or their mom has already gone on. And today is a painful day for some. And so our hearts break for theirs. And we ask that you, the Prince of Peace, dear Jesus, would comfort. Holy Spirit, as the great holy helper, would you come alongside them and as we see the sea of women before us, for anyone who needs a mama, I pray that they would know that they are surrounded by women who are ready to step into that role. Thank you for the church body, for the privilege of being part of a family. We thank you for these women, and Jesus for being the example for all of us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you today as we celebrate moms. But but listen, as much as moms are, are valuable, and we love mamas here, we do not come to church to celebrate a human. We come to this place to celebrate Jesus Christ. And I want to be very clear on that because sometimes we may confuse what all this is about, but this is about Jesus. Amen? And so today we're going to celebrate Him. We're going to talk about some stuff and how He wants to desperately Renovate a core area of your life. In fact, in fact, unless you get this, Scripture will say you will never live a fully resurrected life. But before we do that, I've got two quick things I need to make sure that we're all on the same page. First, first, I got one last announcement that we couldn't get into the the roller deck slideshow, whatever. So I just want to make you aware of it. This was finalized just late this week. But coming up in August of 2022, I'm going to be taking a group to Israel. If you're interested in learning more about the trip, there's an informational meeting coming in a couple weeks. You see me in the lobby after service. I'll give you a little bit of information. Just take your name. Again, this doesn't put you on the list. You're just saying, I would like to know more about the trip. But we're going to go to Bethlehem. We're going to go to Israel. We'll see Jericho. We're going to see some of the places that we talk about every week. So if this is something you might be interested in, just come see me in the lobby. wanted to make you aware of that. And now, second thing. Back to the lesson. You ready? Here we go. I need you to grab a piece of paper. Go ahead and grab your piece of paper make sure you have it. Now, do not draw on this piece of paper yet. If you already have it, it's okay. Just just hold off on any more drawings because you're going to need this near the end of the message. Also, you'll want to have a writing utensil. Everyone get a writing utensil because you want that as well. Okay, with that said, we're in this series. If you're joining us today for the first time, welcome. We're in this series called Resurrection People Becoming Who God Has Made Us To Be. Because the reality is for many of us we were saved, we were baptized into the waters after believing, after confessing the first step, the part of coming into full I'm all in with Jesus where you meet Him is in the water. And so for many of us we have been baptized and met Christ but we're living below our salvation. Do you understand what I mean by that? That you can be saved and not live fully saved lives where you're missing some of the dimension of what God wants for you and wants to do in you, and then wants to do through you. And so we've been talking for the past few weeks, and we're going to go one more week after this Sunday. Next Sunday will be our last week, but we're looking at the five dimensions of who God has made you to be. And the big idea is that God wants to save all of you. He doesn't just want to save your soul from hell for heaven. He wants to save you for the here and now also. And so we said, according to Jesus, we are made up of five dimensions. You are a collection of thoughts. You have a mind. You are emotions. You have a heart. You are your beliefs. where sort of the core of who you are, what you believe to be true. You are actions, the strength of your life, and you are the relationships Your neighbors. This is what Jesus says when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. And so each week we've been looking at different parts. One week we looked at the head and how what we believe impacts what we feel and how we live life, the truths we hold on to. Then we began looking at what it meant to live this life relationally and with our actions. You remember last week we talked about the three A's? When you're having a relational challenge, you always go to someone and you perform the three A's. You say, what are the three A's? Go back and listen to last week if you don't remember, if you weren't here. But today, I want us to look at one thing that doesn't just affect part of you, but it affects all of you. In fact, this is one thing that if we will grasp this, it will affect every part of your life, from your nose to your toes and everything in between. We heard it read to us earlier, but let's see again from Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 32. This phrase, notice it says, be kind. And I love this word, compassionate. This is the Greek word, you splank Everybody say, you splank It almost sounds like you're calling someone a mean word, right? You splank That's not what it means, though. That word means bowels. You say, be bowels to someone else? Yes, but not that way. It means that you feel deeply at the core of yourself for another person. True compassion is not merely intellectual or just a fleeting feeling, but it is so deeply in part of you that it affects every part of you. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Now, here's the word. Forgiving. Forgiving. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God, say this with me, forgave you me this is the thing that affects everything and I think sometimes when we talk about forgiveness for many of us we think of forgiveness as something we push over to the corner like we will do it once we get done with all the other church things as though it is something to get to later maybe but what scripture teaches is not something later it is at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus if you're not a follower you don't have to do this but I'm going to invite you today to take your next step Because this is how life comes alive. In fact, we know that this is the core and at the center of what it means to follow Jesus because think about it. What is it that Christ did for you, for you to be saved? He forgave you, right? God forgave. In fact, I love what Henry Nowen says. Henry Nowen was a great theologian and a monk and he made this statement. I love this quote. He says, forgiveness is the cement of community life. Forgiveness holds us together through good and bad times, and it allows us to grow in mutual love. In other words, it is the thing that helps us stay together when we don't get along very well. Because there are days, let's be honest with us, there are days that the people around you make mistakes, kind of get an oh yeah from anyone. In fact, let's just do this. Let's have a little liturgy of love this morning. Just turn to someone next to you. Go ahead, look at someone next to you. Go ahead, real quick. And I want you to repeat after me. Say, neighbor... Let's try this again. Say, neighbor, you need to forgive because others are not as perfect as you. Now turn, return the favor and say, neighbor, you need to forgive as well because others are not as perfect as you. This is the core of what it means to follow Jesus, that we are forgiven and we are forgiving. Now, before we get into this, I need to explain what forgiveness is and is not, because we have a whole lot of baggage when it comes to this word, don't we? We've seen forgiveness used and abused as a club. And so I need to be real clear. First off, let's talk about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not condoning. Let's be real clear. Forgiveness does not say what you did is okay. I think a lot of us have a fear when we say we're going to forgive someone. We're afraid that means we have to tell them what they did. The abuse, the neglect, the gossip, the angry words, the physicality, whatever it was. If we forgive, many of us are afraid we're actually saying what you did was not that bad. But hear me now, that is not what forgiveness is. In fact, to dismiss what someone did robs you from the opportunity to forgive. And to claim something is okay that was not okay makes you What? A liar. And Christians are truth tellers even when they are uncomfortable truths. It is not condoning. Number two, it is not forgetting. Sometimes someone who has offended another person will say, well, you've got to forgive and forget. Where was that memo? Uh, Where does that come from? That's nowhere in the scriptures. It speaks of God forgetting, but it does not speak of you and me forgetting. In fact, Some of us, to be in a healthy, safe place means we do forgive, but we cannot forget. Because if we forget, it puts us back into a system or a situation where the abuse or the violence can happen again and again. It is not the same thing as forgetting. Number three, forgiveness is not reconciliation. It's not reconciling. It takes two to be reconciled. It takes one to forgive. For many of us, It would not be prudent to try to reconcile, or the other person may not want to. Perhaps trust was broken so deeply that they will not, or you cannot come back together, but you can still forgive. It is not that things are, maybe you don't go back in business with that friend. Maybe you separate yourself from that toxic extended family member. Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Now, number four, forgiveness is also not consequences, and it's not justice. See, a lot of times we think, well, if I forgive them, does that mean that there are no consequences for what they did? Well, absolutely not. There may still be consequences, whether it's legal, moral, or ethical. Maybe they lose a job. Maybe they are suspended. Maybe there is that break in the relationship where you cannot spend holidays together. There are, are consequences, and that's different from forgiveness. Are we all tracking here? And it's also different from justice, meaning if you forgive, there may still be institutional or organizational or legal acts that follow as a consequence to that person, or if you're the one who's done it, to you. So I want to be very clear what well, we're not talking about here. So what is forgiveness? It is always two things. Forgiveness is always personal. It is always personal. What do I mean by that? Sometimes I'll hear people say, I'm just so angry with the church. No, you're not. I just feel so hurt by the church. No, no you're not. You are not hurt by a faceless nameless organization or or, or difficult-to-define group, there was someone in the church or a group in the church who hurt you. I'm just so mad at my company. No, no, no. You're mad at a manager, a boss, or an employee who hurt you because of them you got a pink slip. You didn't get the promotion. You were fired, whatever it may be. It is always personal. And here's why this is so important. If you keep in your mind... The issue in this vague sense of a group or this organization or this institution did you wrong. Here's the thing. You can never experience freedom because you can never forgive an institution. We only forgive people. It is always personal. And the second thing that forgiveness is, it's always a process. Here's what I mean by this. If you've been carrying the weight of something for the past decade, over that Decade, you have learned to live in a new system of thinking, feeling, believing, acting, and relating with people as a result of the offense. And it will take time to unlearn unhealthy habits, beliefs, thoughts, feelings. It is not an overnight solution if it was not an overnight situation. Is everyone tracking with me this morning? Because I don't want anyone here to believe for a moment that simply it's as easy as saying, I forgive you. I'm better. Listen, for some of us, the process we begin here today, if where you end up at the end of this beginning process is that you don't fantasize about blowing up the person's house, that is a huge step. Can I get an amen from someone? Alright? I was talking to a friend earlier this week, just having a horrible job week, and we were talking, and I said, Well, what can I pray about? And he says, Well, don't pray that his car blows up. I would settle for two flat tires. Because that'll ruin your day. You only got one spare. So maybe for you, it's just after today saying, you know what, God, I I'm not ready to forgive, but I but I'm not quite as vocal about what I want bad to happen to them. It's a process. So, I want us to take, for the last few minutes we have together, I want to take a moment and look at a story that Jesus tells. Because as we kind of process through this, here's the reason we're doing this. You're saying, why is this on Mother's Day? You don't have to say anything out loud, but isn't it true that sometimes the deepest hurt come from those closest to us? Some of us this morning have stories of mamas that we just go, man, my mom, she was the Betty Crocker, the Martha Stewart, who didn't go to jail. She is fantastic. Sorry, too soon? Okay, you go, mom is awesome, some of you. There are others in here, however, if I were to sit down and talk to you, you wouldn't be able to vocalize without tears the pain that your mom caused. Or in some of your cases, the pain that your mom allowed to happen to you from someone else. So I want to be real careful here. I know this is tender space. But why are we talking about this? It's because for you to live a resurrected life where you're not bogged down and weighed down by what has happened to you, where you can experience the fullness of God's goodness in your life, it will in many cases begin with forgiveness. And we're going to pick this up next week, by the way. It's not over today. But I want to take you to Matthew chapter 18 where our Savior tells an absolutely brilliant story of Forgiveness And it begins with a question. It's the kind of question you and I would ask, right? It comes from a man named Peter. Peter, by the way, was one of the followers of Jesus. Peter was a loudmouth. Any of you know a loudmouth? Just let's see some hands. Anyone in here willing to admit that you are a loudmouth? My hands are both up, otherwise you'll point to me. All right, so Peter's a loudmouth who often says things before his mind can click into gear. And he asks Jesus this question. He says, he came to Jesus and asked, Lord, by the way, this word Lord means boss. When you become a follower of Jesus, let me be clear, he saves you from your sins, but he also becomes the boss of your life. He says, Lord, how many times shall I say this word out loud with me? Forgive my brother or sister who sins against me. Up to seven times? Don't you, don't you just sort of sense his magnanimity, that word, right? He's being so magnanimous. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus goes, Peter, come on. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. I love this. The, word, the number seven is perfection. So 77 is like perfection, perfection, perfection. Just, In other words, it's a very Jewish way of saying endlessly. You forgive endlessly over and over. But remember, it's not condoning. It's not forgetting. It's not reconciliation. It's not consequences. It's not justice. It is not those things. But you are called into forgiveness. So what does he say? Jesus says, let me tell you a story, Peter. Don't you like stories, by the way? Jesus is this great storyteller. He tells the story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts. And this is a very important word. And Clint, I'm going to ask you to run through these for me. Settle accounts this is very important for the story with his servants. As he, the king, began the settlement, a man who owed him, notice that word owed, he owed him 10,000 bag of gold. This man was brought with him to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay it back. This word patient means big-hearted. He says, Be big-hearted with me. Don't, don't be small. Don't be shriveled up with me. Be big-hearted with me. The servant's master took, notice this word, pity, splankna. Bowels, where did we hear that word? That's what Paul used to describe God's compassion to you and me. It's the same root word, pity, compassion, not simply, ah, poor thing, but I am moved to action on your behalf. And he canceled the debt and let him go. Next slide. But when that servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. Again, the same word, patient. Be big-hearted with me. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be. Notice this word, tortured. We're going to come back to that word. Until he should pay back all he owed. Jesus ends the story with this phrase. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus is telling a story about a king and two servants and he says, this is a picture of what you're asking me, Peter. How often should I repay? How often should I forgive? How often, how often? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. There's this great king. Man, he was a great king. He was a great king for a number of reasons. In fact, the first reason he was such a great king, let's go to the next slide here is that he's a smart king, he is settling accounts. How many of us know people who are smart because they keep track of what people owe them? Any smart people in this room this morning? You kind of have a mental tally of what people owe you? I know I do. It's almost like the king has a little black ledger, and inside he has pluses and minuses. He has check marks. Well, this guy owes me this. Well, I owe this guy this much. And he has written down everything everyone owes him. And so being a good businessman, he is all about the world system of doing it right. It's the way the world works. He calls in his servants and says, we're going to settle up. So he brings in one servant who owes a tremendous amount of money. Now, to understand this story, you have to understand how much this guy owed. Let's just talk numbers for a moment here. 10,000 bags of gold. Quick question. Before I show you any details, how many of us would say, that's a lot of money? Yeah. Any of you got bags of gold like Scrooge McDuck in your house somewhere? Any of you get that 80s, early 90s reference? Great. Let's move on. Let me give you some numbers here. A day's wage is one silver coin. Remember that because how much did the other servant owe? 100 silver coins, we'll come back to that. So 100 silver, one day is one silver coin. 6,000 silver coins equals one talent or one bag of gold. 10,000 talents is what this man owed. If you do the numbers, one day, one silver coin. 6,000 silver coins, one talent. One talent is one bag of gold. 10,000 bags of gold equals roughly 60 million days worth of work. You don't have to do the math, I did it for you. That's over 163,000 years. Sun up, sundown, sun up, sundown, sun up, sundown, sun up, sundown, 365 to pay back. Quick question Is that a lot of money? Yeah, yeah. now let me give you the Jewish version of this. Uh oh, that's all this means. Now, he owed 10,000. Let's get a little comparison here though. Before we pull up the next number, a quick question. If you owed 60 million days worth of work, how many of us would feel confident that we could repay that? How many lifetimes would we have to live? We might almost say that that amount of time for the human is an eternity. But now he tells a story that this second servant or this first servant goes, he finds another servant, and this servant owes the first servant some money. It's not a talent. It's not a bag of gold. It's 100, let's put this up here, it is 100 silver coins. In other words, roughly three three and some change months of work. Quick question, how many of us, if we had to, could eventually pay back three or four months worth of your wages? I, I mean, take some time, take some work, have to really tighten things, but eventually we could do that, could we not? The story hinges on understanding what is Owed. So there is a master who owes or owns these servants, by and large, because of what they owe him. And the first servant comes in. He begs him, please have pity. Be big-hearted on me. And the master does what? Closes the book and says, it is canceled. Now, let's ask a few questions here, shall we? Question number one, why does the king cancel the debt? Now, the servant, what does he think? Is it because the master is so ignorant? He doesn't really know that the servant can't really pay back the debt? Let me ask it this way. Does the master cancel the debt because of what the servant promises to be able to do? I will repay you 60 million days. Don't worry. I'll get you your money. Is that why? If the master cancels the debt because of that promise, then is this master smart or foolish? (laughs) He's... My sister, growing up, she was about three years younger than me, and when she was four years old, she had a little bit of a speech impediment, and my dad, we're driving in the van, dad's in the front seat, my sister's in the very back seat, my dad's driving along, he does something, he misses a turn, he goes, well, just call me foolish, and a little four-year-old voice in the back goes, foolish? So there you go, the king... Foolish. If he does this, believing that the man is able to repay what the man owes. Next question that we ask, is the king's action good business according to the world standard? Quick question. If someone owed you 164,000 years worth of work, would it be good business for you to cancel their debt? I mean, maybe you get something from them, right? But cancel it outright. After all, if you cancel their debt or if you forgive, what will other people think who owe you? Will you begin to be someone that people take advantage of if you just willy-nilly begin forgiving people what they owe? Third question that comes to mind. Why does the servant think the king cancels his debt? This one is so fascinating. You see, the servant has a view of the king here, doesn't he? Because of the way he treats the servant that owes him money. He thinks, I tricked him, didn't I? He thinks I can pay this back? You say, Josh, come on, you're being too harsh about the servant. Okay, let me ask you this. How is it... That this servant goes before a king owing an unrepayable debt, is forgiven, but goes away unchanged. It's because he doesn't have a very high view of the king, does he? The king's compassion has not poured over into the heart of the servant, has it? Next question Where does the debt go? Let me ask you this. If I come into your house, let's just have a hypothetical here. I come into your house, we're having a great time, but I by accident bump into your countertop and overfalls a lamp. Now, we have three options, don't we? Option number one, I pay you for what I broke, correct? Everyone say yes. Okay, option one number is I pay you back. Now, I am paying the debt. Option number two is you say no, 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 don't worry about it, Josh. You'll take care of it correct? Okay, now you have two options. To take care of it means you either leave the lamp broken and you now go without something that you once had, or the third option is you, from your own money, pay for a new lamp, correct? In other words, someone has to pay the price for what I did wrong. Here's the thing that often comes up. People will say, well, why can't God just forgive us why did Jesus have to die? Why did there have to be a price? Because someone pays the price when there is anything broken. You know this in your relationships, right? And a lot of times what will happen is if I don't want to pay the price, but I want you to pay the price, what do we call that? Revenge. You have wounded me. You have harmed me. And I say, I'm not going to take it anymore. So what do I do? I put it back on you and say, you Pay the price. There was a price to be paid. Jesus, this brilliant, brilliant storyteller who happens to be God, says, I want to tell you about a a story about a king who is so big-hearted, who felt so deeply in his core that he chose to pay the price, eat the cost, close the bookkeeping system, the way the world works, not go by it, Figuratively die to the system we all hold on to so that a servant who could not repay the debt may live life free. Hello? This is the story Jesus is telling. Last question before we move on here. Who else is keeping books in this story? you got the king. He's got a book, right? He's got his pluses and minuses. Who else, though, is keeping books? A book, church. The servant, servant, right? Because it's not just the king. The servant pulls out his own book and goes, oh, Bob over here, you owe me. Come on, let's pay up. Right here, right now. Otherwise, I'm putting you in jail. See, it's not simply the king who carries around books, is it, church? We all have our own books with people, don't we? I know I do i got the little plus column and the little minus column. I've got books just like you've got books. And so the king, the king, I love this, the king hears what this unmerciful servant does and he then calls him back and he says, effectively, you want to live by the book that I threw out. If you want to live by the book, I cannot not live by the book with you. You choose, do you want to live by the book or do you want to live by Grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of debts, canceled. 164,000 years and eternity. He says, you want to live by the book where you keep up with what everyone owes you and everyone's done wrong by you? If so, I've got to do the same. And so what does he say here? Very interesting thing. He uses this word. He says, I will throw you in prison where you will be tortured until you can pay it back. Is anyone else here just a little bit tortured with keeping up with what everyone owes you? Here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to grab your piece of paper. Go and grab it out real quick here. Uh, I want you to take your piece of paper, hold it like this, and if you will, go ahead, and I want you to tear it into two pieces. Two pieces, just like this. Sounds like rain in here, doesn't it? First one to make a swan wins. Alright, tear it in half. Okay? You got your two? Now, what I want to ask you to do is now fold each of those in half as well. You got it? Tear it in half? Fold it down. Tear it in half? Fold it down. One book. Two books. All right. Now, once you've done this, here's what I would like to ask you to do. Go and grab your pen. Will you do this? Grab your pen or pencil. If you don't have one, imagine it instead. But on the top of both of them, in the left-hand column, put a plus, big plus. On the right, put a minus. Do that on both of your books. Plus on the left, minus on the right. Maybe it'll be helpful for you to hold your two books in your hands. Can you hold the books in your hand for me for a moment here? Now, for a moment this morning, let's pretend that the book on the left represents the book that is kept between you and God. This is the one that says that you're a good person or you're a bad person. It's one we all imagine God must be keeping that has all of our pluses and all of our minuses. So in the plus column, if you want, go ahead. You can do it now or maybe later this week. Go ahead and jot down all the reasons why you are a Good person to God All the things you've done right By the way, show of hands How many of you are in church this morning? Hands up Congrats, you've got one thing to put on that side Go ahead, feel good about yourself How many of you would say um, I don't cuss, I put that on there How many of you would say um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't say mean things to people At least not out loud You can put that on there as well, right? Yeah, come on, okay Okay um, the times that you've served or given money, go ahead and put that on there. Put down every time you have attended a small group or a Wednesday night get-together or served with, chil- well, with children, put that three or four times, whatever you got to do. Go ahead, on the plus side, you got it? Now, on the left hand, or on the right-hand side, on the minus, this is where you need to start marking down all the things that you haven't done quite so right with God. So this would be the times that you have said or done things in private that no one else knows but God does. By the way, if, if you need to just put a tick mark for every time you've ever done that, you can do that instead if you prefer. Uh, if you want to go ahead and put on there every time you have said something you shouldn't or not spoken up because you were afraid when you should have said something. All the times that you spoke ugly about a fellow Christ follower or even worse, about someone who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you want to write down there all the times that you watched something, said something, listened to something, interacted in a way that was in Inconsistent with who God has called you to be. By the way, if you need extra sheets of paper, we have them in the back. Go ahead and write them all down. This is your book with God. Now take your other book. Let's say that this one represents your relationship with other people and their relationship with you. In the left hand column, in the plus column, write down the names of all the people who are good to you, who say nice things about you, who agree with you politically, who act the way you act. Who go to the same church you go to. Put down the names of the people who will listen to you when you're upset. And they don't correct you. They just kind of let you fume for a while. Go and put all their names down there. And then on the other side, on the minus, that's where you get to write down all the people that you're really ready for God to blow up. All right? This is going to be great. Go ahead. And you can put the name of someone who, who did you wrong back in second grade. You know the one I'm talking about. He tripped you. He said he didn't, but he tripped you. Go ahead and put everyone who's ever rolled their eyes at you giving you a cold shoulder, who communicated in a way that was less than ideal. Go ahead and just put all those things down. Now, I just want to ask you a couple questions this morning. If these are our books, how many of us would say, this is a great way to live, keeping track of everything everyone's ever done, always kind of playing the game, having to stay in the system, because if you're going to keep books, you've got to keep Both books. How many of us say, this is the way I want to live? Man, how many of us might just be honest enough to say that this is an exhausting way to live? Anyone else in here exhausted by by the pettiness that sometimes creeps into our own heart? i got to tell you, there are moments where I am afraid and frustrated by the way that I get so petty and upset at other people. Even people who don't know that they've done anything wrong to me and how I hold on to it. This is not the way of the cross and this is not the way to resurrected life. This is the way to eternal torment. Isn't that the word Jesus used to describe this kind of living? Isn't it interesting that you can experience hell on earth before you die? Just keep the books. This doesn't diminish what has been done to you. Please hear me, friend. It doesn't. And this is the beginning of the work. This is not the end. But this is not the way you were made to live. The call is to close the books. Because Jesus Christ closed the books for you and for me. And he then says, come to me, all you who are heavy and burdened down by the garbage you're carrying, and I will give you rest. It begins with Jesus and it comes back to Jesus. There will be days where you want to reopen the book and he'll say, no, child, close the book. You do not need to carry it anymore. Do not torture yourself. I have set you free. Now you live free. That is the gospel of Jesus. That a good king said, you can't pay what you owe. I will pay the price so you can be set free to live free. Now you set others free free. Yeah, but they have not asked for it. You set others free. Yeah, but they don't deserve it. Child, you don't deserve it. You set them free so you can live free. Friends, hear me. You letting someone off of your hook is not the same as them being let off God's hook. He will deal with it, but you live free. I'm going to ask you to do something today. I want you to grab these. Go ahead. Hold on to them. Will you do something for me this week? Hold on to these. Put them in your pocket. In fact, I'm going to put mine in right now. And all the week, I'm going to carry this with me. I'm going to ask you to do the same. Put them in your pocket. If you're wearing a dress, you're exempt. Put in your pocket. This week, when you're, when you're out and about and you feel in your pockets that little ledger, I want you to remember, I have been set free to be free. And the way to freedom is to forgive. The way to freedom is to forgive. The way to forgive, oh God, help me, help me, help me. And bring it back next week because we're going to finish this with something I hope will be a blessing to you. Some of us need to be set free. Hear me now. At the end of this gathering, I will be out in the lobby. You find me. If you need to talk, we have counselors who would love to help you. We have pastoral care. The elders will be here. The staff is here. We'd love to serve you. Because you do not need to carry the weight of the books anymore. It's time to close the books.